This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Today, I'm talking all about cars. Screaming fast cars. But not the ones Vin Diesel drives in Fast X. I'm talking real-life motorsport juggernaut Formula One. F1 if you're nasty. And one of the biggest races of the year is just starting to rev up. The Monaco Grand Prix. The world's fastest cars will be careening past each other, weaving through opulent city streets where a crash is just a hair's breadth away. Verstappen goes straight into the barrier at Sandovot. Formula One is huge, with over 400 million fans globally. And while Americans do watch a lot of NASCAR racing, for the past few decades, we haven't really watched a lot of Formula One. Until recently. F1 viewership was up by more than 20% in the U.S. last year. And the year before that, it was up by more than half. The biggest increases were among young people and women. And let me tell you, I am one of them. I'm famously not a sports girl, but I am a fan of Formula One racing. And the people who are into it are really into it. Slowly but surely, F1 is taking over every aspect of my life to the point where I'm getting married this year. After I signed the contract for my wedding venue, I said, oh my God, I'm getting married during the Austin Grand Prix weekend. What did I do? (laughs) And (laughs) That's Kate Lazat, co-host of the podcast, Two Girls, One Formula with Nicole Seavers. These two are some of the most avid fans out there. A lot of fans participate in the fandom like they would for a K-pop group or the TV show Supernatural. For example, there are over 10,000 Formula One stories on fanfiction site Archive of Our Own. Let me just give you a little taste. Soon, they were clashing on track. He couldn't tell the difference between allure and rage. All he knew is he wanted to keep the boys' attention as long as he could. But thirstworthy drivers and fast cars alone don't make up for the meteoric rise in interest. Here's the other co-host of Two Girls, One Formula, Nicole. A couple years ago, a little company called Liberty Media bought Formula One. And one of their top priorities was have F1 be cool again and have it be really popular in the United States. Liberty brought in Netflix to create this docuseries um, and kind of drive some popularity in the sport. We got to pause. This docuseries, Drive to Survive on Netflix, has been heavily credited with F1's growth in the States. In my opinion, it's just one of the best sports documentaries I've ever seen. Because it's just really good reality TV. Well, change your car. You've got a problem. Change your car. And you change your car because Checo has been saying the car is it's really like watching like a real housewives episode but about hot 
men from around the world who are driving really fast and what could be more entertaining than watching that. <laughs> there are only 10 Formula One teams, all owned by companies like Red Bull, Ferrari, and Aston Martin. And each team only has two drivers who are also competing against each other. That means the rivals work very closely together. And through Drive to Survive, we've gotten more access to all that tea. In addition to the show, things have opened up online. Because before, drivers couldn't do much on social media. But now, you can add them everywhere. Let's get started. I'll be answering your questions. Number one, Lando, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized Daniel Ricardos or one Daniel Ricardo-sized duck? And for new American fans, F1 is courting our dollars with live races or Grand Prix. In the past two years, they've gone from one to three. They added the Miami Grand Prix, which was earlier this month, and Las Vegas, which will debut later this year. Today on the show, what's behind the fast, sexy, dangerous, and dramatic appeal of one of the fastest growing sports in the U.S.? And if other sports should be copying their playbook. And then I'll be talking with one of F1's biggest characters, a real mover and shaker, Red Bull Racing CEO and team principal, Christian Horner. But first, I'm sitting down with Vox deputy editor and major F1 fan, Izzy Ramirez, to understand the sport's pull, how the women of the fandom are changing the sport's future, and why we're in a motorsports moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com slash NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from the BBC with Where to Be a Woman. Join hosts Sachi Cole and Sophia Smith-Gaylor to find out where in the world women can live their best lives. Search for Where to Be a Woman from BBC Podcasts. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear It Means Everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Izzy Ramirez, welcome to It's Been a Minute. We're so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. I'm a huge It's Been a Minute fan, like really hardcore. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, let's get into it. Okay. So we're talking F1 today and you were just in Miami. Tell me about just like the most off the wall, wildest stuff that you saw there as a part of the F1 crowd. Lord. 
I'm still recovering. I'll, I still have dreams that I'm, like, in the paddock or, like, at, like, some fancy penthouse or whatever. I would say, like, the Miami Grand Prix is is kind of, like, a very exclusive party moment. It's very much seen and be seen. Like, this is the cool thing to do. Everyone's getting into Formula One. So, like, rich mm. people, influencers, celebrities are like, this is the cultural experience. Like, you want to be here. Jeff Bezos was there. Shakira was there. Jonas Brothers were there. Serena Williams was there. The fanfare around Vin Diesel. He was the only celebrity that, like, the pit lane guys were, like, fawning over. Like, they were, like, rushing to see Vin Diesel, like, moments before the race. Wow. Like, I got, like, a little picture of his bald head, and I was, like, printing this out. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the first encounter that you had with Formula One racing. Yeah, so um, my dad is Mexican. And this is an important detail because there's a Mexican driver on the grid. His name is Sergio Perez. Fans call him Checo. Mm -hmm. He had like this incredible uh, rise to the Red Bull team, which has been performing really, really well. Sergio Perez wins. It's Perez on top at the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix. It's a Oh yeah, we have we have a known Checo fan on this team. (laughs) That's you got you have have to be you have to be king of the streets. Yes. The street fighters done it again. Sergio Perez wins in Azerbaijan to take. But yeah, so my dad. Dad called me like one day in like 2021 and he's like, hey, like, can you get some tickets for us for Formula One? I was like, I guess, like, sure. (laughs) I was like, what, like, what, since when did you start caring about cars going fast? And I went and I didn't really know anything about the sport. I maybe had watched like one episode of Drive to Survive, like the week of, and it like changed my brain chemistry. Um, That's a strong statement. It changed your brain chemistry? Like, the cars kind of sound like if you were to put, like, a plane engine, like, right next to your ears. It is so loud. Like, I actually, like, my number one recommendation for anyone going to a Grand Prix is, like, pack a little baggie of earplugs. And, like, people were, like, intense, like, intense, intense, intense about their fanfare there we were packed like sardines like you couldn't move and like there was also like a fair so like a little like you could do like little rides if you have kids it's kind of like disneyland there were like armadillo races there's like a selena impersonator (laughs) yeah i was like i i went and then i was like okay i have to understand this more wait yeah so talk to me about that like you say it changed your brain chemistry like how how were you different after you attended this grand prix (laughs) race what appealed to you about F1. Like, what drew you in? What about it got you so sucked into this sport? Yeah, I think for me, this is such a dorky answer. It's the geopolitics of it all. (laughs) Say more about that. Say more about that. Okay, this this is a global sport. These are teams that travel the world. They're going to places that are, like, politically fraught. I mean, every country's politically fraught. But, like, you know, they're getting, like, Saudi money. They were, like, almost bombed. 2022 season you know there's they had um, a driver um, Nikita Mazepan who was mm-hmm. driving for the team Haas his and he only got onto the team because um, they needed like Russian money at the time with the rush the war right. in Ukraine they're like all right Nikita it's time to it's time to bounce wow I really like knowing all of the the bureaucracy, the chess that's playing in addition to like the actual mechanics of the car. 
I like that this is a sport with layers. Like you're seeing feats of engineering, incredible dedication to going fast. I like to watch cars go fast. Like it's, it's it really is, <laughs> it unlocks something primal in me. It's interesting. Like I, I keep thinking about, you know, Drive to Survive and you talk about all of these different entry points for how people can get into F1. I mean, I will say that like Drive to Survive and sort of the interpersonal conflicts, the petty dramas, mm-hmm. um, getting into people as characters, like getting into mm-hmm. these these public figures in F1 as characters is initially what drew me in. Is the key to getting people to watch sports, like giving them the Real Housewives treatment? I think it depends on the sport. Like, I know that Vox Media, who owns Vox.com, is like maybe question mark an investor in Full Swing, which is a golfing show. You can't make me care about golf. Not to... to not to yuck anybody's yum, but exactly. not your thing. <laughs> you know, applying this kind of strategy. We love celebrity. We love drama. We love things being explained to us complicated things through storytelling but it's not just drive to survive is the reason why formula one is doing really well like they had new ownership like they were allowing drivers to have like these social media presences they're doing all of this work to make the sport better and i think like the easy thing about formula one is that there's only 20 drivers 10 teams it is you're not like mentally keeping up with like hundreds of people like I feel like for us to see the stakes the way that the drivers would see the stakes or the teams and having that human connection because like otherwise it kind of just seems like statistics and a lot of people are into statistics not I um that's like (laughs) (laughs) I mean but but you're absolutely right I mean many other sports I think about baseball Mm -hmm. specifically for one um like being sort of like a stats nerd is can be a really satisfying way to engage with that sport but the stats is not going to be something that interests me and that's why i think drives to survive is really successful like and it also came out 2019 like right before the pandemic so like i don't know right. if it would have grown as much if it wasn't for people who were stuck at home watching tv like it was just like not like perfect timing but maybe like opportune you know, stars aligning moments for F1 in the sense that, like, they had been putting in the work to, like, make it a little bit more accessible. They'd had an educational moment. That educational TV moment, you know, took off during a time when people were watching more Netflix. Mm -hmm. And then also, I think another part of that is that, like, people really wanted to do IRL experiences once, like, restrictions eased. You know, like, I when I went to, to Austin 2021, like, the amount of people was like 400,000 people in Austin that year. We are seeing a lot of interest in motorsports culturally. I think about the hugeness of the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, <laughs> apparently you're a fan. You just clutched your chest. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Um, but I mean, you know, Rosalia's Motomami album, not to mention, you know, the drivers of F1 going to the Met Gala or becoming cover stars. I mean, I even just think about that Met Gala moment where, that I saw between Anne Hathaway and Daniel Ricciardo where she mm-hmm. recognized him. You know, one of the biggest living movie stars that we have was like, she's like, I know who you are. <laughs> like, excited to meet him. I remember I just said, I was like, oh, that's amazing. I was like, I'm flattered. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. We're, I wonder, like, are we in a motorsports moment? Are we in our Vin Diesel era? Vin Diesel era, yes. Un- undisputed, <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think that cars are in a precarious place. Hopefully, you know, we're going to get better at reducing pollution, reducing 
our, you know, reliance on cars. I do think that walkable cities is really important. But, like, cars are so ingrained in the American psyche as a mode of transportation, as a cultural touch point. Like, you think about, you know, in California, like, lowriders, or you think about, you know, street racing and all these other parts of the U.S., uh, Detroit having such a big manufacturing presence with Ford. Like, cars are so integral to the American identity. Maybe we're also thinking about driving as an aesthetic and not even to drive a car. Like, I think a lot about, like, Ferrari having a fashion line. As a cultural movement, I think they're so fascinating. Mm. I wonder, um, can you describe the fandom that you're a part of, like the F1 fandom that you're a part of? Yeah. What kind of fan activities are you seeing? I guess, like, I'm on, like, like the hot F1 girly fandom in the sense of, like... Like, um, Wait, please spell out for the <laughs> listeners what the hot F1 girly fandom is. It's, you know, you are someone who thinks critically about the sport, but you're still, you know, engaged in the mechanics of it. But like you're welcoming other people into the sport. You're also interested in what like Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton are wearing. You are, you know, thinking about all of the components of F1 and you are entrenched. And I will say there's a lot of tension, really, because some of the older crowd, they're kind of like, oh, like, you're sexualizing drivers. You're like, this is a bad cultural change. Like, why Like why do we care about politics? Why do, like, you know, we should just only care about racing. And I can mm-hmm. understand how that's, like, a tough change for some. In addition to, like, why do I have to treat this driver like a celebrity? And I think some of the, the drivers also do struggle with this dynamic, too. But some fans like group all these people who are like, oh, well, the people who are making like critiques about politics and who are also like into, you know, what Daniel Ricardo is wearing at the Met Gala. These are the same people who are also like making bad, mean posts or blah, blah, blah. It sounds like maybe more traditional F1 fans are looking at like the the new fan landscape and lumping everything that they don't like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can, I can, I sympathize with that. It's hard to see something that you love change so rapidly. And like with any fandom, like a lot of people do bristle when there's like young women or young queer people, brown people, people of color entering in the sport and be like, oh, well, you weren't there when Kimi Raikkonen did this or like right. <laughs> or like calling you fake fans. And I think it's just kind of like you should be welcoming people who are interested in your sport, the longevity of the sport, and who are asking questions that will make the sport better. I wonder, you know, th- there has been an influx of a lot of women fans. How do you see the women in the fandom changing the future of the sport? This is such a good question because there have been a lot of questions around female racers, right? So you had the W Series. Right, the all-women F1 League. And now it's like the F1 Academy. And there's been a lot of critiques about like, why isn't the F1 Academy getting more, you know, screen time or more budget to like reach new fans? Or it's like women fans are thinking about, can we get women drivers in the sport? Can we be treated as fans online better? And then third Mm. is like safety at these races because last year there were some real problems, I believe in the Austrian Grand Prix where like women were getting harassed and like a lot of like really awful sexual innuendos and like risks and like threats. And like the FIA was slow to response. They like got something the next day, but even then it it didn't really feel adequate for some people. Those are some of the dynamics that I think for like women and people of color, you know, thinking about how do we make this more safe? How do we, you know, get 
better equity? You know, how can we have like a good time and have fun? I've been thinking about like all the haughtiness of it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, these are handsome, stylish guys with money. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. And I have seen the edits on TikTok with like slowed down weekend songs like whoa <laughs> with whoa. oh yeah with like like with uh, you know over pictures of like Daniel Ricardo it it's it's interesting stuff and i'll say that like while the driver's hunkiness isn't the full reason at all why women are into the sport it's definitely a factor and and i have a theory that part of what makes them so compelling for american women is that the these like F1 drivers occupy a totally different athlete persona Mm -hmm. than the stereotypical American jock. The packaging is different. I think Mm. that's at least how it seems to me. I feel like that has to be a part of the appeal for someone. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes like I clock out on this because I'm, I'm ace. Like I'm just kind of like blinders on for some of these things, (laughs) but like objectively, like you can look at Lewis Hamilton and be like, okay, yeah, he's a pretty boy with really good taste and I want to go shopping with him. Like that's, you know, like if I can go shopping with anyone, Lewis Hamilton, if you're listening, I would love to go (laughs) hang out with you and your vegan dog and we could go go shopping. I mean, vegan dog as a stroke of branding is doing a lot of work right here to my point. I wonder who is your favorite driver? And why? That's so hard. That's so hard. I mean, like, I have to be a Checo fan in terms of, like, as a Mexican, I want to see you win. Like, I, <laughs> like, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you, King. Um, in terms of, like, when I'm watching a race, I'm always rooting for the underdogs. I'm rooting for the sport. I'm rooting for the sport. I'm rooting for, like, improvements in the sport and for unlikely winners to get a podium place. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about F1. I think I'm slowly turning into something of a motor mommy myself. Yes. So it was great to unpack all of this with you. (laughs) I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Izzy Ramirez. You can find her work at Box.com. Coming up, an interview with one of the most influential people in the sport, Red Bull Racing team principal Christian Horner. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Charles Schwab, with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life, Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. 
Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. The F1 intrigue doesn't end with the drivers. There's a lot of people making moves and building strategy off the track. And one of the most successful strategists in the sport is Christian Horner. He's the CEO and team principal for Red Bull Racing, the team that's been dominating for the past few years. Thanks for stepping. You are world champion. We are world champions. Thank you so much. A team principal like Christian is responsible for the hundreds of employees that build and engineer the cars, but they also manage the drivers. They interface with race control, make strategy calls, and set the expectations of the team. You know, if you're not careful, it takes over your life. You know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of scrutiny. Um, so you've got to be pretty thick-skinned. Christian's not only been wildly successful the past couple of years, he's also one of the most interesting characters in Formula One. He's got a very dry British way of speaking, but he's always down to throw shade at the other teams, particularly his rival, Mercedes team principal, Toto Wolff. In our interview, it happened four times by our count. Christian is the definition of competitive. And on the sidelines, he's always making moves to give his team that edge. He's pushing and hungry for wins. To put it simply, he's got that dog in him. There's this phrase in American sports that people often use to describe someone's drive to win. I'm wondering, have you heard the phrase ever? Or has anyone ever told you that you got that dog in you? Have you heard that one before? Uh, it's not a very English expression and could mean something else over here. So, um, no, I, ha- I haven't heard that um, expression before. <laughs> it's a good thing over here. It's a good thing over here. I sat down with Christian Horner to talk about what makes a savvy team principal and what his plans are with one of the most beloved drivers in the sport, Daniel Ricardo, who's currently on Red Bull's sidelines. Christian Horner, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thank you very much. You were just in Florida for the Miami Grand Prix, and F1 is becoming exponentially more popular in the U.S. than it ever has been. Did you see that change or feel that change from the pit this year in Miami? Yeah, I mean, uh, the U.S. for us is going bananas, and I think the drive to survive factor has just opened up the whole U.S. market. And now we've got five uh, Fortune 500 partners on the car now. We've got such a big following in the U.S. Vegas is going to be insane. Um, And that would have been unimaginable even four or five years ago. It's pretty evident that, like, you knew to sign up in season one for Netflix's Drive to Survive, which has been credited, as you said, for bringing in a lot of American fans, you know, before Mercedes or Ferrari saw that this show would be a smash hit. What was the upside that you saw in participating in the show from the get-go? Well, I think it just exposed, um, you know, some of the characters, some of the personalities, because originally that show was just going to be about Red Bull. It was just going to be a fly on the wall, just about Red Bull. And they went to Formula One and they said, we'd like uh, to do this show about, about, you know, the Red Bull racing Formula One team. 
And uh, Formula One said, well, we can't really do that for one team. We need to do it for everybody. So they came back to us and said, look, we still want to do it, but everybody, all the teams are going to be involved. And at that point, Ferrari and Mercedes didn't want to get involved. I think Mercedes thought they could do a better deal on their own. Um, and uh, Ferrari just naturally cautious. But you know, from the get-go, we embraced it and said, okay, come and see who we are. And uh, it's been an incredible success. I see you as a very savvy team principal, and so do many other fans. What makes a really effective team principal such as yourself? Well, that's, that's hard for me to, to gauge. I, I think you've got to have a broad understanding. I mean, look, I'm not an engineer. I've never been to a business school. I've you know, I left school when I was 18 years old. So I grew up in the industry and I think you have to be street, you know, streetwise in this, in, in this paddock, in this business. Um, it's a very competitive business. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of dog-eat-dog. That's an expression that we have. I think that just having grown up in that moment, being a competitive person myself, you know, I've just applied that into, in, into this job. It seems to me like part of being an effective principal is working with the structures around F1, like race control or the press, or even the reality show that you're participating in, Drive to Survive. There are always narratives and counter-narratives in F1, and you are one of the most seemingly candid team principals with the press. To me, on some level, it seems like you lean into playing a villain on the show so that your drivers can perpetually be the hero. That's my, that's my read as a viewer. I wonder, is that how you see it? And is that part of your press strategy? My strategy has always been to protect the drivers, to protect every single team member. If I'm getting the criticism and it's avoiding anybody else or I'm perceived as the villain, then that's fine with me. That's part of my job. That's what I, that's what I do. And that's uh, my responsibility as the principal of the team to protect everybody that works and, and, and drives the team. Now, you also have to remember... Drive to Survive is making a TV show. Sometimes you're the villain, sometimes you're the hero. And sometimes you can be both in the same episode. The way they cut things sometimes, you know, is to create an element of of drama as well. That's the way it works. You said in another interview that, that being on the attack is a part of the culture of the team. And if you move into defense... You're conceding something. This is the culture that you built. This is your team. I wonder, where have you seen defense fail people in F1? I mean, we saw it with Lewis Hamilton. You know, in Mercedes, for example, 21, they went very defensive in the last race. They left, left him out to, to keep the lead on a set of tires that were 45 laps old. Hamilton has the advantage. Verstappen has the faster, fresher tyres. And we have got 3.2 miles of racing action all the way to the chequered flag. As the Instead crew... of perhaps going more aggressive. And it's very difficult to do that when you're in, a, in the lead and you, you've got something to give away. But our philosophy, my philosophy, has been keep attacking, keep pushing, keep driving. Because, you know, as soon as you're coasting, you're, you're vulnerable. Turning our attention to um, one of your counterparts, one of your peers <laughs> on the series and, and in F1 uh, as an organization, as a sport, the team principal of Mercedes, Toto Wolff, has said, he has said that Mercedes doesn't pay attention to the other teams. But I feel like you are always paying attention to what's happening on the grid pretty openly. When has that strategy really paid off for you or when has it hurt you? What people say and what they do are sometimes very different. 
I think you've always got to be aware of who, you, who your opponents are. I mean, first of all, you have to look inwardly. You have to look at your own performance, where you can improve yourself, both as a team and individually. And you have to show the respect to your opponents because you can't be arrogant enough to think you know everything. So there's always something that you're going to learn. There's always something that you can, that you can benefit uh, from. And I think that that's the way you know, we've always operated as a, as a team. We're always looking inwardly. We're always looking to, uh, you know, we never do our dirty washing in public. Um, that's how we operate. You know, you're doing more than just paying attention. I mean, you, in your own words, don't mind pulling the chain of other team principles. I have to wonder, are you having fun? Like, is is it fun for you to kind of get under other people's skin like that? I think you have to enjoy what you do, and otherwise you wouldn't do it. And I think, for me, you know, competition is about competing at all levels. You know? So, of course, if you see one of your competitors losing it, and smashing headphones up, you know that you know, they're feeling that pressure. And, and, of course, everybody deals with pressure differently. And You're talking about Toto Wolf in, the, in, that, in that regard, the smashing of the headphones. and whatnot. Well, I haven't seen any others smash any headphones up. Everybody shows emotion in a different, in a different way. Hey, just pausing the Toto shade for a second to break down another controversy. Last year, Horner got in trouble for saying, quote, F1 is bringing in a young generation. It's bringing in a lot of young girls because all these great-looking young drivers, end quote. Okay, back to the interview. Thinking about how the F1 fandom has expanded in recent years, you have all these new fans from the show, and you got in a bit of trouble for something that you said last year about what's possibly bringing women fans into the show. But I wonder, how are you seeing these women fans change the shape of the sport? I think, well, it's fantastic to see so many women coming into the sport. And I think that's where the show has really introduced a completely new demographic. We're seeing a lot more engagement around the globe from, from more women. Um, and if that now encourages people to get involved in Formula One, even at a grassroots level through motorsport or engineering or driving, or you know, we're seeing more and more interest coming in and we're seeing our workforce becoming ever more you know, diverse as a, as a result. And I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great thing. And I think that something that we're certainly very open to, it'll be a, a, a real evolution. Now, turning toward your drivers, what's your long game with your reserve driver? Arguably one of the most beloved drivers out there, Daniel Ricciardo. Well, we brought him back because I felt that, you know, Daniel wasn't done with Formula One and to see him just whimper out of the sport wouldn't have been right. So I think he fell out of love with Formula One over the last couple of years. And the, certainly the Daniel that came back at the end of last year wasn't one that we recognized, you know, the big smile and the big personality. And, and I think he's gradually refinding his love for the sport. He's finding his, his passion for driving again. Um, and we'll see where that, what opportunities that presents for him. But I think the first thing for him is to rediscover his mojo, his passion for the sport and his, his inner dog. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, we're going to give him a test in a, in, you know, in a, in a few weeks time and, and see, you know, see what he does. Hmm, hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say, well, I'll be watching to see what he does. Well, Christian, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Christian Horner, CEO and team principal of Red Bull Racing. 
Have you signed up for It's Been a Minute Plus yet? Becoming a Plus subscriber is a great way to support the work we're doing here at NPR. And you'll get to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks. So head on over to plus.npr.org slash it's been a minute to find out more. And to everyone who's already signed up, thank you so, so much. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Josh Newell. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.